listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode two of the Miscarriage Doula podcast. I am your host, Arden Cartrett. Um, If you listened to the first episode, you heard my miscarriage journey, and I appreciate each ear that heard that story because that is the legacy of my children that I've lost kind of living through my work. Um, so although it's really hard to share, I am really glad to take the time to mention them whenever I can. In today's episode, you will hear a conversation between me and Chrissy and Tyler, and I loved this conversation. We talked for about an hour and a half. I cut it down to an hour and 17 minutes, so I didn't want to cut out a whole bunch, um, because it was just such a great conversation that I thought I would release the whole thing. I didn't expect Tyler to be there, but I'm so happy that he did. It really added an element to the conversation because the truth is miscarriage happens to two people in most cases. And one person feels it different. The other one, it's more emotional, but it's also really hard to watch your partner go through something so traumatic and terrible, and that causes trauma for partners as well. I know that my husband struggles with, um, he struggles with some trauma after our first loss, and I don't think he's fully aware when those triggers arise, but I recognize it and I call it out. And so I really loved talking to both of them. And hearing their story. It was an honor to learn about the children they've lost, to hear about their rainbow baby. Um, if you're looking for an episode that has a lot of hard stuff and um, a lot of loss, but a rainbow baby in the end, this is a great episode for you to listen to. If you're feeling alone in your relationship and you're wanting to start the conversation, but you don't really know where to start, I encourage you to listen to this episode and Maybe this episode can be that first step with your partner. You can tell them that you listened to this couple talk about miscarriage and that you really just want to have a conversation about what you've been through. In my journey, talking to my husband about what I was going through, even though he was standing right there, he didn't fully understand the trauma. He didn't understand my specific triggers. And so it was filling him in. And bringing him in on our journey is really what helped. And I have a feeling that that's Chrissy and Tyler. That's where they started. Um, And they're a great team. You can hear it just from listening. And they've known each other for a really long time. So they bicker a little bit. And it's so funny. But I just really enjoyed the conversation. And I hope that you will too. Okay. I will stop the intro and get right to it. We started trying to conceive and I came off birth control after several years back in 2017. And um, we started really trying in January, 2018. And we went about seven months. So, you know, when you're starting out and you're naive, you think it'll happen really fast. And it was getting frustrating that it wasn't happening. 
And then in July, 2017, I got what I thought was my period or maybe a lighter version of it. And then all of a sudden, my hormones were over the place. I was having major mood swings and I couldn't figure it out and I couldn't pin it down. I was having a lot of stomach issues. And all of a sudden, about two and a half weeks later, I started bleeding again. And bleeding at first in the beginning wasn't really a normal period. So I wasn't sure. Like I just figured, I figured it was a weird one, weird month. Um, And the mood swings started and the other issues started. And then I started bleeding again two and a half weeks later. I was like, something's kind of off. And, you know, I think Tyler's response was, you're out of your mind right now. You should go find out what's wrong with you. (laughs) So go to the OB and um, they were like, let's run bloods. And we found out my HCG levels were very low, but we found out you were pregnant. um, And obviously we were losing the baby. And that was kind of weird because we were finding out after the fact, there were no, you know, we've been waiting now seven months for those two lines. We didn't even get to have the two lines. And the OB was kind of just like, hmm, it was a non-viable pregnancy. And that was it. It was chalked up to nothing. And it was very hard to pinpoint. And they were like, it happens. It, it, you'll have another one. And it was just like very disconcerting. And then the next month, um, literally the next month, um, same kind of thing happened. And I had bleeding again, thought it was my period. I was going on a one week trial school. I'm a lawyer. So I was going to a litigation school in Colorado for a week and it was very intensive. And I remember I was leaving on a Sunday and I was freaking out because we weren't going to be able to have sex while I was gone. And it was during my window and I was freaking out about it. And I was having stomach issues again. And all of a sudden the airport Sunday morning, as I was leaving, I started bleeding again. And it was like two and a half weeks later again. So of course I had that thought, this happened last month. Okay, that's kind of weird. And I couldn't figure it out. And um, I got sicker and sicker and I got to Colorado finally. And I happened to have a cheapy pregnancy test in my bag. And I was like, no, I'll just try it. So I left it on the counter. I had to go to whatever meet and greet there was in Colorado um, to meet the rest of the people coming from all over the country. And I went back later, like four hours later, and it was positive. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, it's happening again. So I was like, maybe it's a fluke. I went to this drugstore, got the first response, got a bunch of them. And that's when we found our first two red lines that we've been waiting for for eight months at that point. And we realized it was happening again. And I think this one was fairly traumatic. It was difficult because he was in New York and I was in Colorado and we were so far apart from each other, finding out that we were pregnant and losing another baby. And this time to see those two red lines and not even getting to celebrate that and just losing the baby immediately. And not to mention I was alone in a hotel room. So I called my OB. At that point I was heavily cramping and bleeding quite a bit. And I remember the nurse's words to me and I think she was just busy because I've known her since and she's, really a nice person, but her words were, it's just the body's way of getting rid of a bad pregnancy. And I was like, I just told you I was in Colorado alone in a hotel room and that's your response. And um, she's like, well, do you need anything else? And she was very short. And I was like, yeah, do I need 
checked out. Well, if the bleeding gets really heavy. And I was like, okay. So now I'm alone and trial school starts Monday morning and this is Monday morning that I'm like taking more tests and calling the OB. And I had two options, whether to go home or to stay. And I knew that if I went home, they were gonna send me back to do this all over again. And I figured it would be more traumatic to go back to Colorado. Um, so I just stayed. And I think what people don't realize about miscarriage is for the female, the misconception is that it's one, it's one moment and it's done. Mm-hmm. And the physical part, the emotional part is a whole different story, but the physical part, it can last quite a long time and no one really understands that. So this whole trial school was exactly what you think it is. It's training to be a lawyer and they put you on video and they tape you and there's you know, experts who are critiquing every move you make and it's nine to five thirty, and it was Monday through Friday morning. And I had to do the entire week. And I remember standing up there and it was like someone else was in my body and I was losing my baby and I was bleeding. And I remember the cramping and thinking, none of this matters. And they're sitting there going, you should put your hands here. You should put your, your, your face here and you should do this. And I remember going, none of this matters. I'm losing my baby. And none of you know I'm losing my baby. And I told the people from my office that were with me and I had told the head of the trial school. And of course they said, you can go home. And I was like, no, I'm just going to stick it out. And that's the only thing that really I remember that week is wanting to scream. And there was this person in my body and I know it was me, but it was like a small version of me who was just screaming, I'm losing a baby and none of you know. And it was just like, I'm putting on a show for everyone. And that's what was so difficult. It was like, we were separated. I was calling his mom to make sure that he was okay. And that's what about miscarriage people just don't get. It's not just a moment. It, it truly like, it affects everything. And like, you can be in a grocery store with someone and not know they're miscarrying in the middle of the aisle. And you can be at a work function just like that and not know someone's miscarrying. And like, I mean, I remember getting, I get, I got stopped. I was really good. I had like a switch, like a, a robot switch. And when I was in public, I would put it on. And then the minute I was outside is when I would really just lose it. And I remember being on the bathroom floor and I was crying and um, in the bathtub crying. And um, I remember a moment during it, we had like a lunch break and I ended up in the hallway, hysterical crying. And one of the people who were running it this found me. And of course she gives me a smile and she's like, are you okay? And I remember thinking, she probably thinks I'm crying over trial school, like, because no one knows. Um, but that wasn't it. And no one really got understood it. There was a few people there who understood, who found out. Um, so then I came home, and it was weird. Like, I remember you saying, I don't really know how to respond, because he wasn't there with me, and he hadn't, didn't find out we were pregnant with me. Right? Is that? Yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't experience it. It was, you know, everything was being told to me over the phone and from 2,000 miles away. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were actually together when you found out about it. So it's not like seeing the pregnancy test and getting excited and stuff like that. But then also on the flip side, it was also like I hadn't gone through any of the trauma because I wasn't there. And 
especially for the two of us, having been together for as long as we have and knowing each other for over 20 years, like we're really good at understanding where each other is at, like emotionally, and we can kind of pick up on that without really saying anything. And this was probably the first time in forget about even our relationship, just in knowing each other. I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to respond to help her and be there for her both emotionally and, you know, physically, cause she was having a miscarriage, but it was like, it was also dealing with my own stuff of like, how do I process this, but also be there for you at the same time. And I feel like from like that point until probably like this past like June, so almost like two years, I had kind of just like shut myself off and was like, all right, like I have to kind of figure out like I'll deal with my stuff later. Kind of take it's, care of me. It was like I'll deal with my stuff later and like I just need to I need to be there for her because I can't imagine having to go through all this this at all. And it wasn't until quarantine that you really dealt with everything that yeah. we've been through. But so then I got home. Um he met me at the airport with my dog, so that yeah. that, that was comforting. Um, and then, you know, I talked to the, I think I talked to the doctor the next week, my OB and she's, she's fantastic. And I ended up going to the high risk OB and, you know, they use the chemical pregnancy term, which I refuse to tr really use as much as possible. I just can't stand the term. I think it's, I, I think it's it. terrible. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. It, it really discounts. Well, I, we've talked about this. My issue with it isn't. Like you can have a scientific term for something, but you can also just not use it. Like, okay, like that's what it's, that's what you're going to call it. That's fine. But don't sit there and continuously use the word over and over again in consults and stuff like that. Like when you know it's triggering, someone you don't, on the you other don't end. need to hear that. Like it's not, I don't know. I feel like that was like one of the biggest buzzwords that we, in the, like, in the beginning, in, in yeah. the beginning, especially it was just like, Oh, well, were they real pregnancies or were they chemicals? Yeah, that was, oh, were they okay. real pregnancies? And I said, <laughs> they were real babies. And they were like, well, how many pregnancies have you had? And I, and like, and to this day, I have trouble answering yeah. that question. I, I started answering after a while. Cause I was just like, I don't want her to have to answer yeah. that question. Because it's an impossible question to answer because you don't want to sit there and, and discount your loss. But at the same time, you also know what, type of response they're looking for and it's not you shouldn't have to answer that way like no you should I think I, yeah I think I was responding well you guys call them chemicals I call them babies like that was the way like my brain was wrapping around and I, through this entire process um I ended up getting I was very jaded and I ended up being very snippy and um angry and my responses got even more angry so then we had a I think we had another month where we were trying and then in October we got pregnant again and this time we saw those two lines and we were overjoyed because there was no bleeding um we really thought this was the time the the you know the HCG levels were at um sorry the pregnancy tests were getting stronger and I called my doctor and they're like we don't see you until eight to ten weeks and I was like no 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 we had two losses already they were like well they were chemicals and I'm like I don't care. I want blood. I want bloods run. So the reasons the the reason that I was so insistent 
um, was because of those two, two prior losses. And it's also the reason it saved my life, this loss. It was also Lorraine too. Yeah, our family, our family friend too. But yeah. um, so we got the bloods run and the first HGG levels were really low. And, you know, you hold on to hope that you're going to rise and double. And the next ones were low again, but they doubled. And the next one went up like 50%. Went up, but didn't double. And they were like, again, it's a non-viable pregnancy. You'll probably, I think I was told you'll lose the baby in five days or something like that. You'll you'll lose the. And And it was going, it was going into the weekend and my brother and his, well now wife, but at that point, fiance were having their like bridal shower sort of thing at my parents' house over the weekend. So now we're stuck between like excited, but also like we kind of knew what was coming, but we were trying to hold, like we were both, even, even for her, who's usually the, uh, the, pe- the pessimist of the two <laughs> was still, you know, was still holding on to hope. And then. Cause this was different than the other yeah. two. And I was like, this is real. This is going to happen. Like this is going to be not real. This is a, this is a, a good pregnancy. Yeah. And then you ended up talking to one of our family friends who, I no, thought, that wasn't, oh, no, that wasn't. No, I had I had bloods run, um, morning, and they right? and they hadn't called me. Um, we've been together for fifteen years, by the way. So <laughs> my husband and I do the same thing, where it's like, no, it didn't happen like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, the reason the reason that we were full was I had bloods run again, and they were supposed to call me, and they hadn't. Um, it was that Friday. I had not run Friday morning, and they didn't call me before the weekend. And I called Saturday morning, the party was Saturday afternoon. And I just, in my heart wanted to know, are they going down again? We just wanted to know one something. way or the other. So I got in touch with um, the on-call doctor and she's the most pleasant doctor in the world. And the, it, it rose substantially, but did not double. And she said, this could be bad, this could be good, or we don't know yet, or it could be ectopic. That was the, it, that was the three things. And I think the topic's bad anyway, so I don't really, but that, that was how she phrased it. And I said, okay, but to me, it rose. And I didn't know enough about it at this point. So I was like, okay, it went up a lot. It's, it's, in the, it's, it, it's good. And we were, we were so happy and I hadn't started bleeding yet. And it was longer than the period that they told me, the period of time they told me I was gonna start bleeding. So I was like, I'm, I'm hopeful. We got to the party and within an hour I started bleeding. Um, so we spent, my brother-in-law's uh, shower, literally, I was on the bathroom floor for most of it because I was inconsolable. Um, and I remember having to put on a face and going out there and um, having to interact with people. And I ended up just telling people at that point because I was so flabbergasted this was happening again. And I spoke to our family friend who did IVF. Um, and she said, this sounds like my ectopic. You should get checked out. And I was like, they're, they're not really saying that. They're kind of just, you know, they'll call me when they call me. They said, I'll, they said we're going to lose the pregnancy. We're going to lose the baby. And she's like, no, you should be insistent about being seen. And I was like, okay. And remember, we're only doing bloods because of our two prior losses. So I called Monday morning and they're like, you don't need to be seen. Like it's a non-viable pregnancy. And I was like, I really feel like I need to be seen. We can send you for a sonogram, but it's going to take this time to go. You have to go to this place. I said, okay. They send me there. It's a very weird interaction with the with the doctor who was there, and he did confirm that the baby was no longer growing. 
Um, so we kind of at that moment had the confirmation diagnostically that we needed. And all of a sudden I get a call, we go home. Yeah. So he, <laughs> we're about where the, the place we had to go was like, yeah, almost probably almost an hour away from our house. So we, I left work and I met, I met her there and the, the doctor basically was just like, okay, yeah, it's what we call corneal ectopic pregnancy. Um, but he said it really quickly. So we didn't yeah. even really like hear that. We just, so he, but, <laughs> he didn't but, say ectopic. He said corneal. Yeah, he, he said, said pregnancy. Because yeah. yeah, he if I had heard ectopic, I would have responded with what do we need to do? And we didn't hear that. So we heard corneal and it was a very weird word. And I was like, I don't know what that is. But he said it in such like a passive Nonchalant. way. And then was just like, okay, like, yeah. I, I would just go grab some lunch and follow, um, follow up with and, your doctor. Fo- and follow up with your doctor. Just like very casual, not as if like, not no, urgent. like, like, you know, like you need to go like be seen right now. So we drove home and 40 minutes and got, got lunch and we're sitting downstairs. I had started working again. <laughs> and I got a phone call from the doctor and she goes, where are you? And I was like, I'm at home. What are you talking about? And she's like, you need to get here now. You need to be in my office. Why are you not here? And she's yelling at me. And I'm like, uh, I'm really confused. No one told me, didn't the doctor tell you to come here? And I said, no. And then she softened and was like, oh my God, no one told you. And I was like, no. Um, she goes, can you come in now? And I said, okay. So we get there and she tells us that it's, a, it's not a regular ectopic pregnancy. It's a corneal ectopic pregnancy. So it's the baby fixated, um, onto the top of my uterus. Like the corner. The corner. Where, the, where the tube meets the uterus. Uterus. And apparently it, it has a higher mortality rate than a regular topic. And again, we only found this because I was doing bloods and I insisted on a sonogram. And um, she then told us that we were going to have to go to the hospital and we were going to have to terminate the pregnancy. Um, and as we were walking out, I was a zombie at this point, I think. And we were walking out and Tyler looked at her and said, how far was it? And I was very weird. Like you said something, it was very weird comment. And she goes, you were like this close to a viral. She was like, she was like, you were basically a millimeter away. I was like, oh, okay. And yeah, I mean, his, he, it was, it was just, oh, okay. And I remember hearing that just being like, what? (laughs) So we got to the hospital and I thought this would be the worst part of this entire, that day. Uh, an, an ordeal, yeah, that's that's it. And um, we get there, and for me, the worst part of this was having to sign the paperwork to get the methotrexate shot um, because it's a cancer shot, and because I guess I was terminating my pregnancy, I had to sign those papers. Well, honestly, it was probably one A, and then one B was having to repeat everything to every single person who came in the room because yeah. we saw three different doctors, we saw a, a PA. PA. And every nurse that came in the room, which is probably because we were there for like 10 hours. And I know it's protocol. My, yeah. mom, my mom is a nurse. But, I know it's protocol. But they kept asking, why are you here? Why are you here? And finally, I mean, put it this way. When I entered the triage for the emergency room, that's where I ended up first. The lady said, why are you here? And again, I was very jaded at this point and very angry. And I think I said, I'm here for you to kill my baby. And that was my the phrase I used. And I was so angry. And she goes, what? And I go, and then he was like, uh, ectopic pregnancy. Like he was trying to like, make it a little better. Um, and we got to the back and that's when, um, yeah, doctor after doctor and, and nurse. And why are you here, hon? Why are you here? And finally, I just went mute and stopped talking. And my mom showed up and that's when Tyler started answering for me. Yeah. And he started letting them know what was going on. 
Um, and then we waited hours and we had our own room for this part. And then all of a sudden they put me in the hallway because it was too busy and I wasn't an urgent because I didn't have the medication. They didn't have medication yet. It had to be done under a hood in the busy emergency room. So I sat in the hallway while I was losing my baby for hours. And there was a kid there who was staring at me because I was, I was, I was throwing a temper tantrum rightfully so and was angry and kept like, why are we still here? Why isn't this, why haven't they done it yet? Like, and I was bleeding and I was cramping at this point. And um, then we went into, uh, they put us into a room finally after what, nine hours? It was like nine (laughs) hours. It was insane. Like sitting there. The Giants were on that night and the game was over by that point. So it was, and we had been there for a long time. It it was a long time. So, So, So they tell me that it needs, the two shots need to go one in each butt cheek and they need two nurses to do it because they have to do it at the same exact time. And I just remember it was so traumatic. And I remember pleading with him, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. And um, I don't even know how like he really, like how do you respond to that? Like it, 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 he was so strong and I, it was so difficult. And they finally, we ended up doing it. And um, they gave me the shot and I remember collapsing on the bed and you could hear my howling from the other side of the emergency room. And my mom was outside the door because I didn't, for once didn't want her in the room with me. Um, and I was just screaming. And uh, I remember thinking if they could just sedate me, I could stop and like, and, and not have to think about this. And I remember thinking it's over, like this, this, it's over now we can grieve. Like, and they said, I remember leaving and they said, you'll have some cramping. It'll be like a regular period. Um, it won't be bad. Um, you can take Motrin. And I was like, okay. And my mom had talked to an OB at work and the next day she called me and she said, uh, just so you know, I know everyone's telling you it's going to be easy, but he told me day four is the worst day. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, day four is the worst day. And we got to day four and we were watching my cousin's dog and my uh, friend's dog. So we had three dogs in the house. All of them, all of them over 70 pounds. Yes. And it was November and it randomly started snowing. Huge snowstorm. So in the morning, day four, like clockwork, I started cramping really badly. And um, I remember I couldn't sit. And I was like, wow, this is stronger than a period cramp. And I had, I had bad period cramps growing up. And I was like, this is stronger than that. And for the next six, seven hours, I want to say, it was a long time, the cramping got worse and worse and worse. And finally it got to the point where he found me upstairs curled in a ball. And then I got to the point where I was almost throwing up. And then I got to the point where I was screaming in agony. And I was like, and they had said, if it gets so bad that you can't talk, you should come in. You might, it might've burst. So at this point I couldn't talk. I was physically a mess and I have a pretty high pain tolerance. And this was, this was the worst pain I've ever experienced. And um, I called my mom and I couldn't even get the words out. And I was like, what do I do? Um, And he called and he called the nurse and the nurse was like, you should probably get checked out. So he let the dogs out. And I remember 
the, my friend's dog or my cousin's, I don't know who it was, got off the, off a collar. And I'm sitting there in the night, standing in the kitchen over the island, screaming in pain, holding my stomach. And he's in the back trying to get the dogs in. And I remember thinking, I'm going to die in the kitchen while my husband tries to get the damn dogs in the house. <laughs> and because now we can, now we can laugh about this because you don't, you have to laugh about something through all this stuff. But right. I remember just thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die in the kitchen, like, b- because of this. <laughs> and we finally got the dogs in the house and we called my dad to come over and take care of them. And then it was snowing and we had to go 40 minutes to the hospital. And I think what people don't understand about these situations when the pain is that bad and you don't understand exactly what's going on because they told you it was going to be a regular period, um, you think you're dying. And you don't know whether or not it did burst or whether or not this is normal. And I remember having the death conversation with Tyler in the car. And if I die, you like, the conversation you never want to have with your spouse. Um, I'm trying, sorry, I'm trying to put myself off. Um, And we had that conversation. And um, I remember it getting so bad halfway through that I said to pull over and call 911. Like it was so bad. I didn't know if I, I was, I was bracing against the, the dashboard. I was, my feet were against the dashboard. And then all of a sudden, about 10 minutes from the hospital, so about half hour into it or yeah, um, there was a pop and then it, the pain went away. And then it was just minor cramping. And I realized that I had passed the baby that something had come. I, I couldn't feel it exactly because I was the way I was sitting, but I knew something had happened because there was this huge pop. And at first the pop was a little disorienting because I didn't know what it was. And I thought maybe it was actually worse than uh, that I was going to die. But then I realized it was what it was. And um, I got into the I got into the hospital, into the emergency room, and I remember like bending over and I could feel the blood. And I remember just saying, I need to go to the bathroom. And they were like, let's get you checked in. And I was like, no, I need to go to the bathroom now. And finally, um, I think he, he said something, I think, and they let me go to the bathroom. And this was, in hindsight, and I've thought about this so much, I wish I knew that I could have buried my baby. I wish I knew that I didn't have to flush. I didn't know that. Um, They didn't say that to me. And I looked in the toilet after I sat down and there was a a ball and I knew exactly what it was. And it was what I passed and it was my baby. And that's something that I feel like will live with me that I had to turn the handle on the toilet and I flushed my baby down the toilet. That's something that I will forever live with. Um, And I wish I knew that I could have, I don't know, scooped it up with something, put it into a box, buried him or her. Um, So then we got taken back. They had to do a sonogram um, to confirm that there was nothing left. And uh, there was also relief at that point. And that was horrible because I didn't want relief. wanted to be able to grieve and be miserable and sad and angry, but there was relief because I wasn't in pain anymore. And that pain was so, so horrible. Um, And I guess at the the moment it all stopped. 
until we got home and had to deal with the aftermath. Um, and then the next few months after that, because of the methotrexate, I, I think it, three months we weren't allowed to, to try to conceive at all. So I was in a really bad way. I was miserable. I was depressed. I was angry. I was bitter. Um, and I talked to the, to the OB again and they kept using the word fluke. And I was like, this is three in a row within four and a half, five months. So this was like, uh, no, I want to see an RE. I want to go see someone to see if there's something wrong. Like I, I can't do this again. And I remember saying, I can't do this again. I can't do this again. And she kept saying, and she's a brilliant doctor. And she just kept saying, we didn't need to yet. And I said, okay. So we ended up doing um, the saline histogram, right? Uh, yeah. we, did the, we did blood work. We did genetic testing at that point. Everything kept coming back normal. And, you know, they're so excited. It's normal. And I'm like, just find something wrong. Give me a reason why this is happening. Um, and I hated saying that because you never want to find something wrong. But I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do this again. Um, so we, tr we started trying again and to no avail. And um, we ended up finally making an appointment with um, a specialist. And that's when we had to have the HSG test done and we had to do more blood work. And um, he said, let's start IUIs. And uh, we didn't know what to expect, but we were like hopeful for the first time because maybe this would be different and it would take us out of the equation a little bit, not really, but a little bit like, and have some specificity to it or timing um and then our first iu first iui failed our first yeah our first iui failed and then our second iui we had two positive lines and um we went in to get the blood work and the levels were low again and um i was like i knew when she told me the level it was like 25 or something I was like, it's not, no, we're, it's not going to be good. Um, and she goes, you never know. And it was this young nurse and who's peppy and positive, And I am negative Nancy and was like, please stop being positive. <laughs> I'm going to put you through a wall. Um, and sure enough, two days later, the number did not double. And we were losing another baby. And we ended up this time losing our fourth baby um, the week of my sister's high school graduation and she was getting a big award and there was an award dinner and I started bleeding then the day of the award dinner. And we were also scheduled to go to Disney World a few days later. And I was all excited that I was gonna be pregnant in Disney World. Um, and uh, I remember I started bleeding at the awards dinner and this is with people who, you know, there's 12 years between my sister and uh, me and I remember these are people that my teachers from high school, these are people I've went to school with, um, family, friends, over a hundred people. And I just, another one of those situations where I'm losing my baby and no one knows. And you don't want to be Debbie Downer and start telling people. But then I wanted to start telling people and I didn't want to start telling people because I wanted pity. I wanted to start telling people because I wanted someone to say that my babies mattered, that they were real. And I think that's another misconception about miscarriage and about people who speak out honestly about it. And, you know, on, in, on social media, everyone wants to think, oh, they just want attention. 
no, we want people to feel not alone like we felt. We want people to feel like their babies mattered. And that's really, like, I never got to know the gender of any of my pregnancies. We named all of them, uh, William, Anna, Walt, and Sophie. Um, we named them after our family angels, thinking that they would be taken care of by them. Um, but we never got to know. We, there were so many things we didn't get to know. We didn't get to hope. And then it just got taken from us. So that's like, if I could help someone else who's going through that, that's why I'm so open about it. And over time, Tyler's gotten just as open as me about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At first it was like, oh, and then now he's just open too. Well, because I mean, it's, it's weird. You're like, especially for me, because it's like, you're talking about like, this is the hardest part for, I think for the spouse is that you're not the one physically going through it. So you don't really know are you supposed to be, are you supposed to be as upset? How are you supposed to react? What are you supposed to, how are you supposed to feel with this? Like you're, you're basically like, you could look at it and be like, you're basically not going through anything. Like your spouse is the one who's going through all of it. And you're just kind of, you know, you're there to be there emotionally. But like, I, I lost four babies too. I mean, I wasn't the one physically going through, but you know, they were still, you know, they were still my babies. And that was, that was, I think like understanding that was really difficult. And then I still, I don't remember when it was, but it was dancing with the stars when James Vanderbeek, his wife miscarried. And I remember the two of us just kind of looking at each other because he had posted about it and then missed like missed one of the episodes. But I just remember the yeah. two of us kind of looking at each other and just being like, like we hate, hated the fact that it obviously happened to them, but also we were like happy in a way that like he spoke about it and was very open. And, and it was like, this is what needs to happen. And like yeah, recently he was brought we, to his knees yeah. and it was, it was just, we felt it and everyone felt it. And, and then like who, recently yeah. Chrissy Teigen going through what she went through and like, you know, her unapologetically posting the pictures of it and being like, these are for me. They're not for you. Like the, I wanted John to do this and, and capture all of it. It's meant for me. And also people need to know it because more people go through this than anybody even knows. And I think that was probably one of the biggest things is that when you started opening up about it, how many people we know had miscarriages, had yeah. and, you know, and people chemical I, pregnancies, had all that stuff. And like, people I crazy. didn't, people I didn't know. Um, people I went to school with, whether it was law school or undergrad, or they, they were reaching out to me and they were asking questions and they were sharing their experiences. And they were like, you know, seeing your posts have been very helpful. Um, and then we ultimately, my RE ended up saying that IUIs were not gonna work for us. Um, and it was likely an egg quality issue. And that's when we started IVF. And um, we ended up doing because my egg quality was so poor, um, I'm 31 years old when the egg, when our egg retrievals happened. And I think we ended up getting about, the first egg retrieval, we ended up with eight eggs and only... Six and then five fertilized and then only two made it, one of which was... was poor quality. They, just, they were like, we'll freeze it anyway, but it's not going to amount to anything is what was said. Um, so there, one came out of that. And then the question was, 
do we try to transfer that one embryo or do we do another egg retrieval? Because if you the other thought process is if you transfer, transfer the embryo and it sticks and you have a, a pregnancy and you deliver, you're now nine months out to do another egg retrieval, more than that, obviously. Um, and at that point I would be older and my egg quality would be worse. So we opted to go ahead and do the second uh, egg retrieval right away. Um, and financially we had to figure that out and we did. And um, I'm happy that we did the second egg retrieval. And then we ended up doing a fresh transfer. Um, I had, um, I had a, 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 what's called, OH, ovarian, hyper, OH, ovarian hyperstimulation both times. Um, second time was actually worse, but they went ahead with the fresh transfer because my RE really wanted to do it. Um, and he felt that it was going to be beneficial. And Addie was a beautiful A plus embryo. And um, we saw her hatch on the screen. Um, and then we found out we were pregnant. And pregnancy after loss, I know that you posted so much about it. And um, I followed your posts religiously while I was pregnant and um it was so pregnancy after loss is horrible um the first trimester was god awful and then we thought we were going to get to enjoy the second and third trimester and then COVID, COVID happened so and I, I already have anxiety last, and uh, PTSD the so the last that was not thing, helpful no the last thing that we did like was was our gender reveal yeah. and the only reason we got to do it was because you did nipty and we were able to find out because if you had waited to the we to the 20 week we wouldn't have been able to yeah. do it so like that was the last time that we ever had more than five people in our house at the same time <laughs> <laughs> and then after all of that um you you missed he missed the 20 week appointment with um, COVID and yeah, we found, we found out at the hospital that they had changed the policy that morning that they weren't allowing significant others in for the, um, for any scans. What, what's it called again? The 20 week one? The anatomy scan. Yeah. The anatomy scan. And, um, so, and they were, and it was so new at that point, they, the texts weren't allowing like anybody to FaceTime or, or anything video like or that. anything. So like I'm, I just sat in the parking lot for two and a half hours. But not only that, like anyone who knows pregnancy after loss, every scan is heart wrenching. Well, and especially you were, because you get so like you and, and understandably so, but you would get so panicked and stuff during it that you would end up asking me over and over again, like, what did there, they say? What were the measurements? Like I had to be like, I had to memorize everything that they said to be able to regurgitate it so that, because my time. brain just wasn't it, computing because she would change it in her head that something horrible had been said by the doctor or there was a measurement that was wrong and I was like no 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 like it was it was x it was y like it was definitely this yeah. so it was so with with COVID that, that day they like and this is the same hospital that I terminated Walt's pregnancy and um I remember that it was very army-esque I'm not sure how you like phrase it but like the way they let us in there with led, led me in there with my mask and they had to approve me to go in and, and I had to go through different levels and my anxiety was obviously one because of scan and two because I was now deathly afraid of COVID um and I ended up um not even calling him um I called my mom and I remember I was in the hallway and I was hyperventilating and I called her and I was his 
to her crying. And I said, I can't do this. I can't do it. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave. And um, my mom has always been that person who we're very close, but she's very blunt. So when I was in Colorado losing that pregnancy, I called her. I mean, after we grieved together for a day or whatever, I called her and I said, mom, I can't do this. And she goes, you're going to pick yourself up and you're going to go out that door and you're going to do it and you're going to be fine. And you're going to put smile on, you're going to fake it until you make it. <laughs> and for year, for however long we were dealing with infertility and IVF, my mom said, you were going to fake it until you make it. Um, and she did the same thing that day with the 20 week scan. She said, you are going to be fine. You're going to go up the elevator and you're going to be fine. You're going to breathe. You're going to put your face on and you're going to be fine. And I ended up having the most stern, um, uh, tech. tech in the world. And I was like, couldn't I just get the nice tech today? And she didn't even tell me there was a heartbeat. And I couldn't see very well because as he said, I go crazy during these scans. So about a minute and a half, no, probably two, and also, two, three minutes. At that point, sorry, at that point we had probably, cause we were getting, you were getting scanned every other day than every day. From for for IV for IVF. So like at, until, until 12 weeks. At 20 weeks, we had probably had well over 15 scans, probably even more than that. So like we were used to having scans frequently. And so this was the first time I had to go for, I had to go more yeah. than four weeks without a scan. So I got into a habit of every time we had a scan, I got really good about figuring out where the heartbeat was. To reassure me. So that I could just be like, oh, okay, like there it is. And like, it would sort of settle her down because then the doctor, the tech would respond to it. And this was like, this was the first time we had to go more than two weeks without a scan. And we like, she had called the night before and said like, my husband's going to be able to come in. Right. And they said, yes. And then we got there and I will never forget. She had a mask on at that point, but her eyes, when the valet told us that we like that I couldn't come in, it was just like, it was worse. Than, honestly, it was worse than the hospital. It was worse than any of those other ones because you just look so like, Beaten. you just look so defeated. And I was like, I can't believe I can't do anything about this right now. Yeah. But I mean, you know well, what? After about two minutes of the scan, yeah. she finally, I go, is there a heartbeat? She goes, oh yeah. And I, <laughs> and I already told her I lost four babies. I had told her that. And she the, oh yeah, it was such a relief. And at that point, and because your brain doesn't compute, like I see my daughter moving on the screen, but my brain wasn't computing that she was moving and, um, and, and everything was fine. And uh, in August, uh, we welcomed Adeline and um, it was actually the same day as a hurricane. Because yeah. you really can't make this up. You guys, so you guys have the worst luck with these <laughs> dates. Oh my gosh! So August fourth, and um, you know we have Addie. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love, I love hearing. Like I, whenever you talked about her as an embryo, your face just lit up, and it was. I know that the we listeners won't be the, able to see it, but it's the best. We still have the picture of the embryo in our kitchen. That's yeah, amazing. Just take pictures with her next to it, and we're just like. This ball of cells became Addie, and it's really, it's really unbelievable. But yeah, that's our story. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Well, I have. Um, so, we're going back to chemical pregnancies or quote unquote chemical pregnancies, 
you know, my problem with it is that all pregnancies are chemical, like it's scientific, it's, you know, a mix of cells that form into a baby. And so I don't fully understand how a chemical pregnancy is anything less than a baby because we're all like chemical beings. I don't know, like, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but that's what my understanding is. So that never really computes with me. That's not my favorite thing. No. Yeah. It's just uh, a horrible term. There's and, a and lot of def- horrible terms. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. But yeah. So we don't we don't use that term no. to us they were babies. And I think I think that's also the hard part for me was also realizing that my losses were still significant, even though I didn't know the gender. I didn't see the heartbeat. Um, that's hard because a lot of people like to compute and measure their loss based on how far along they were. And I will always say, I could never imagine what someone else has gone through that has been further in a pregnancy than myself, but a loss is a loss. You still grieve that the, what if the, I still wonder, I look at Addie every day and I wonder what my babies would have looked like. Um, every holiday that passed that we didn't have children. I wondered, like, I just imagined them sitting at the counter. I imagined them opening presents. I imagined there were just so many things that you, you what if, and you imagine. And I think that's the, the hard part is it's hard not to get really down um, in those situations. My dog's here, sorry. No, you're totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's, it's, you don't realize how much loss affects everything. Um, and how much is everything and that's and life after loss especially for people for like for anyone no matter what you have going on like like I said I have have anxiety and I have PTSD but no matter what you have going on you're always waiting for that second shoe to drop you're always waiting for the next bad thing and with COVID everything got amplified for me um I got I was terrified and um I still am and I've gotten a little better, but, but it's still bad. And with Addie being our rainbow, um, I'm scared of anything happening to her. And there are days where I, I go to therapy weekly, and there are days that I say to my therapist, I don't want to admit this. I'm now admitting it to everyone. But <laughs> um, I have images of picking out her casket. That's how scary to me it is that, like, I'm like, could I get through that? Could I deal with that? Like that's where my brain goes is when everyone else just goes, I just want to see the baby. I don't understand why you won't let us see the baby. And it's like, I'm imagining my daughter dying. Like that's, that's how bad like life after loss is. It's you are imagining the worst case scenario at all times because we were, we were those, the percentage that like everyone's like, Oh, it's only a 1% chance. It's only this, whatever. We were that 1%. We were that 2%, whatever you want to label it. That's what we were. So that's been the struggle for me. I don't know about as much as you, um, but I've struggled with that. Yeah. For me, my, my struggle was that I had just kind of shut myself down emotionally for almost two years and then dancing with the stars and then, (laughs) and then quarantine just like amplified everything. And I like, I ended up taking time off from work and this is while she was pregnant and we were getting excited about things, but I was dealing with stuff that had happened a year and a half, two years before. I was seven months pregnant and um, you're very open about this, but he ended up having 
essentially a nervous breakdown. Yeah. I had and, multiple um, times I ended like I was on the floor. I, I was picking him up off the floor. I was calling thinking at one point I said to him, do you need to go to the hospital? And in my head, I'm going, I can't even go with him. I'm going to have to drop him at the door because of COVID. And, um, he's like, I don't know. And to hear that from my husband, he's always been my strong, my rock that he doesn't know if he has to go to the hospital because he is so bad. That was scary. Um, but we've been very open about going to therapy and he ended up going I think twice a week at that point. He took time off from work. Um, and he ended up going on medication and that was, it was a game changer. And again, I was seven months pregnant and I'm like, Oh my God, we're supposed to be enjoying this despite COVID. And I don't know if he's going to be okay. That it was a very scary, my, the rock, my rock for so many years, I didn't know if he was going to be okay. And, and, um, even, and you couldn't even like lean on your mom because we weren't. My mom's a nurse and she was in COVID. And she was in a COVID She unit, She so. was taking care of, and she was, for lack of a better, wrapping dead bodies daily. And I couldn't lean on her. So I was very alone during that. And my anxiety was spiraling and thank God for therapy. Um, it got me through. And um, as mom says, you put in your face and you fake it till you make it. And that's essentially what we did. And, well, and this, the sad part about all of it is, is that probably because of everything we went through with all the pregnancies and the losses and stuff, it helped us get through all the other stuff. Like yes. we were kind of like, well, if we could deal with that, like we can deal with this, like we can figure it out. Like it's, it's sad that you have to think like that, but like I, without having gone through everything we had in the, in that year and a half, two year span, I'm, like it would have been even harder to come out of that at the end. It was like, it was just, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and, with with loss, I think what I took out of loss too, which you learn a lot, and um, I learned to think before I speak. I come from a very big family. We like to offer advice all the time and be in each other's business all the time. Um, and <laughs> I um, I don't really do that anymore. I take the back seat. I kind of offer comfort rather than advice unless it's really asked for. Um, and I also make sure, you know, I try to tell other people, think before you speak. And the problem is we all deal with, I'm sure you did too, the inconsiderate comments from the peanut gallery all the time. And I was getting during, during my, during the losses with infertility, so many people, oh, you've been together forever. Why don't you have kids yet? Why don't you have kids? Blah, blah, blah. And it got to a point where I just started saying, I have four babies in heaven. And that shut everyone up because um, no one wants to talk about it. Right. And the other, like the other, I guess you have to also realize, which I wasn't realizing at the time that everyone was so inconsiderate. It took me a lot, a lot of therapy and a long time to realize was people aren't trying to be inconsiderate. It's not intentional they're trying to provide you with what they think is going to help you. And if anything, I've been kind of educating people through my posts or I try to that just because you say something like everything happens for a reason or they're in a better place or you'll like just anything you think it makes you feel better because you feel like you're 
offering support, but it doesn't make the other person feel better. The best thing that you can do for someone who's going through it is just to sit with them. Right. And that's, I think, just be silent and sit with them and offer them your hand and, you know, go over and do the dishes, make them food, buy them flowers, like just sit with them and listen to them. Let them tell you about their pregnancy. Let them tell you about their baby. Um, I think that's, I think what I've taken from loss is just, just think before you speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you touch on it. Um, a lot with, you know, motherhood after miscarriage is like a whole other thing. And then during COVID, so you are not alone with the way that you are feeling with COVID because I am very much afraid of COVID still am to this day. I, you know, if somebody holds camera and I imagine like that, that embrace just being deadly to him and it's, it's just a different level of anxiety. And I always thought that after miscarriage, having my baby would like fix everything, but it, it really brought up a lot of my grief. And it's like you said, like you look at them and you wonder what your other babies would have looked like, or you wonder if they would have had the same smile or, you know, did the same thing with their hands and Mm -hmm. it, it brings it all back up. And I don't think that the lost community really prepares each other for that. At least I don't feel like I was prepared for it at all. No, I, no, I don't feel that way. I, I, up until, up until literally when I had her in my arms, I didn't think Addie was making it. I went into that hot, into the hospital that day thinking that I was going to bury my daughter. And that is a horrible, like, if it, like now everyone's going to hear it, but if I, I always felt people would think I was crazy if they heard that. But I think the lost community gets that because yeah. when you deal with, you just don't expect anything to go right. And until, like, I, I was, is she, bre- is she breathing? Is she breathing? Is she, like, we cried, we cried, we cried so much. And I, I think we were crying, we were crying for all of our babies. Um, but yeah, I was crying because I didn't think that I was ever actually going to meet her. It seemed unreal to me. And whenever, I, I think, what people don't get also is everyone was so excited for us and rightfully so. And they didn't go through what we went through. I was, I don't want to, I, I didn't, I didn't want to have a gender reveal because I was afraid of jinxing my pregnancy. I didn't want to buy the furniture for the nursery because I thought I was jinxing the pregnancy. I you didn't want to have a shower. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a baby shower. I got to the point where I didn't want to work out. I didn't want to eat certain food. I, um, I was terrified of going to the bathroom and seeing blood. Um, I would go to the bathroom with lights out sometimes because it was easier not to have to check my underwear. Um, It was, that whole pregnancy was just on pins and needles. And it was, you know, even my mom, who was my biggest support, was like, oh, when she's here. And I was like, if she's here. It was always if. I was never able to actually talk about my daughter like she was going to exist. Right. And, and that sucked. That was really traumatizing in itself because I wanted to be so happy and don't get me wrong. Like I, because of COVID it's, it's weird. I was also grateful for COVID because I was able to stay home and work from home until I was, until I had her. Um, And then there were moments that we weren't surrounded by family all the time. So I got to enjoy 
my pregnancy in my bubble in my own way. Although I was so anxiety ridden, I got these moments with her that I probably would have taken for granted if I hadn't had loss. Um, I would have just went through the motions and been like, I can't wait to meet her. Instead, I was like, every day I got to, I was excited. And I remember also about loss. I remember we were like 10 weeks pregnant and I got really sick. Um, I have stomach issues and I was sick that day and I was in bed and I got to, I got myself so worked up that I was hysterical crying. And he, he's like, what can I do? And I couldn't even, I just thought I was losing, I was losing the baby. I, I was inconsolable. And he called my mom and put her on speakerphone. And she again, did the Chris breathe in, breathe out. You're going to be okay. And that's what I think people don't also understand about pregnancy after loss. It's every cramp you have, every feeling you have, you are imagining the worst case scenario. And I was cramping a lot. And I was like, we're going to lose her. There's no way this is going to work. And um, that was really hard. I think up until the third trimester yeah. is when I really stopped. I like I was able to walk and I felt better. I think, the, I think the anatomy scan was big. And then the... Um, Getting to the, the viability. And mark. then the, the cardio one. Um, yeah, we had a, we did a cardio test um, because of IVF. And that was good. And then, um, no, yeah, get, getting, and then getting to the getting, the, yeah, getting to 32 weeks was, okay. was huge. I mean, obviously getting into the third trimester was, was like a big, that was a big milestone, but then getting that 32 week mark, we finally like, I just kept looking at it as, yeah. will my baby survive? Will my baby survive if she's born now? And I remember my cousin saying to me like, Oh, that's a really negative way of thinking. And my cousin's like my best friend. So I, I get where his, comments come from but I'm like until you walk the walk you don't really understand that and not being able to enjoy it and expect to make it to 40 weeks right. um and the hard thing about like as you were saying being so afraid of COVID and and I was right there with you and um we were planning on having no one in the house after we came home and I ended up getting uh I had a really bad reaction to the epidural and ended up having postdural headaches. Um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't change my own underwear. I couldn't bathe myself. Um, my mom, my mom ended up putting Addie on and off my breast to breastfeed. Um, cause I couldn't, what happens is anytime your head goes upright, the headaches are so extreme and the pain is so bad that you have to go back into a horizontal position. I ended up having two uh, epidural patches um, blood patches where they like take my my blood and inject it into my spine to try to um, relieve the the pressure. the pressure, and we had to open the house right when we got home because I couldn't take care of myself and I had to go to the emergency room two days the day after two days after being released from the hospital um, for another one of those patches and I remember that's what people don't get about loss like even our own family couldn't understand fully when my baby, my newborn went into someone else's arms well, and I you, had and like, you missed, you missed the first doctor's appointment too. Like I missed the pediatrician up, appointment because I was in the hospital. It ended up being my mom, my mom and me going yeah. because but you I, were in the hospital with your mom. Yeah. But I think with loss, they just like being so scared that something's going to happen to her. That was, that was the really difficult yeah. part to the, to allowing people in the house. And it still is, I still have issues and we've gotten better about it. People still wear ma- double masks in our house, 
we were wearing N95s for the longest time. Now we're wearing K94s with a double mask over it. Like we're just, uh, my therapist says to me, and I think it's such a key, a key thing. You need to do what you need to do to be able to live with whatever happens. And he, and he goes, but you need to be able to live with whatever outcome there is. And it was hard with family in the beginning because everyone wants to see the baby. And I said, I need to be able to live with if she dies. That's what people weren't getting. If she dies, it's on me. I didn't protect her. And I think that's also with loss, what people don't like. It's a, it's a hard way of mom's thinking and people who go through loss is you feel like you failed them somehow. I, to this day, feel like I failed those four babies, that I, my body wasn't good enough to support them. And um, that's something that like, I, I can go to enough therapy and it still just won't sink in that my body didn't fail them. Um, so that's, it's just, life after loss is, is so challenging. Yeah. Well, and that's why I try to, to focus um, on that miscarriage doesn't just mean like as you're actively bleeding and miscarrying, it's literally like from the moment that you find out that you've lost your child, like your journey is a lost journey from there on out. And it's going to affect every aspect of every other piece of your life. And it's just, it is the worst thing to go through. It entirely. And people don't realize that you don't lose your baby in one day. And that's a common misconception with men, female, like male, female, whatever. People just don't get that it doesn't happen like that. Um, it, and, it can and, take a long time and, and an emotional journey. Have, and, like, and the thing is for us, and this isn't discounting anything, but like we didn't go through like, we didn't go through some of like the worst potential situations that people have to go through. Like, you know, we didn't, you didn't have to have a DNC. You didn't have to, you didn't have to deliver. Like you didn't have to, and, and again, not discounting. It's just like, acknowledging. it's yeah. It's like we, we went through four early losses and that was horrible, but like add that onto it. Like you get, all the excitement and like, it's the, the, I think that at the end of the day, the point is it doesn't matter if it was a moment or if it was, you know, 20, 30 weeks, it's, it's still a loss and it's, yeah, it's it's still a loss. It's still a loss. And I, and I uh, think what I think is so important, I know we're talking a lot. I'm sorry. No, (laughs) you're, are you kidding? You're totally fine. (laughs) I, I think the, um, important part I guess for the lost community because now that we're now that we're on not on the other side you're dealing with it every single day but that we can see clearer and we've both been to therapy is like you need to allow yourself to grieve Mm -hmm. and not be ashamed to do it and allow yourself to have those really raw moments like I remember before we found out that before we found out it was a Walt's pregnancy was ectopic I was in the supermarket and I knew that I was potentially losing that baby. And I just remember crying in the middle of the aisle. And I was looking at, we were having, we were trying to have Friendsgiving. And I remember looking at pumpkin pie stuff and like, I, and I was just sobbing and I was sitting there crying. And at first I was embarrassed. And then I was like, screw this. I'm just going to sit here and cry in the middle of the supermarket. And sometimes 
need to do that. And to this day, sometimes I just have my moments and I'll say to him, I'm having a day. Like, and it's, and, and just, it is what it is. And like, we've gotten very good at talking each other down and he knows how to like diffuse my anxiety bombs pretty well. Um, I also know when she's trying to pick a fight with me and I stop and I just don't. Don't engage. I don't engage. And it takes every ounce of energy not to do it because I love to argue. So it's really difficult. But he like I've gotten good at it. But he knows really well, like when anything with Addy, like he'll repeat the same thing over and over again to me. Even if it's simple as like she hit her like she bumped her head. I answer she's fine, she did this. I anticipate what you're I have to get in her mind and figure out like what crazy path her mind is going on in order. <laughs> to get, in order to get in front of well it. i mean for the longest time i couldn't touch takeout because of covid like i'm like still terrified of doing it like today i he was feeding addy and i was doing the the, the garbage and i had him hold the garbage open and i go oh your hand and he like, goes my hand is fine and i was like no you have to wash it and he's she, like no i'm fine and i'm like no you have to go wash your hands <laughs> like, when she says hold it i mean like i was like touching the edge of the plastic bag like literally <laughs> i'm on her side because i'm the same way but to be fair <laughs> i'm kind of that way outside of the pandemic so my husband has said like now i understand why you put on hand sanitizer before you touch utensils or before you you know you clean everything before you eat and it's like that's why i also don't get sick very often because i can see that everything you touch you know contaminates and so it's it i I totally get it the takeout thing i completely get if i take out the food i put it on a plate and then i wash my hands before like i get utensils it's I just do it I'm for her now. I just take, it, I just take it out of the container and put it, and put it on he'll, the plate. He'll see, me, he'll see me in deep thought staring at it, yeah. and I will stare at it for like in my head computing, I don't want to wash my hands again. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And, he goes, and then all of a sudden I see his hands go like this and just dump the food down for me. And I'm like, thank you. And, and anyone else who sees this probably thinks we're nut jobs, but it works. Yeah, but life after loss and, like, well, being that terrified and anxiety, yeah. it's it's rough. I also think that we learned that, like, and I say this to you all the time, like, being happy for somebody and being, and being sad or, like, jealous or something like that, I always say to her, I'm like, they're mutually exclusive thoughts. Like, if we, like, it was, I had a hard it was time horrible for a long time, especially in today's world with, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And all yada, of our yada, best yada. friends were getting pregnant yeah. one after another. Finding out, seeing pregnancy announcement after pregnancy announcement and pregnancy announcement. Like, I have one of my friends, how old Lydia's, Lydia's like 15 months now. So we had just gone through our first round of our first, table. no, it was our first IUI. Wow. So you had just had another chemical and we were having a really hard time. You used the word too. And sorry um I had to sorry <laughs> and and he called me and was just like so excited and she could hear on the phone that like that he was telling me that they were pregnant yeah, and I just walked away and she walked away and then like we were on the phone for a while and she's just like like they're pregnant right like how, how could he do that I was like what do you mean how could he do that like he's excited it's like he's allowed to be excited and we're allowed to be excited for them, but also really sad for our situation as well. Right. Like that's, I think we learned, unfortunately, again, you learn faster. Yeah, it, no, took, no. it took me a long time and to, I think you still, to be and I think happy you still for people. With it, I, I, it, and that's the weird thing about loss and about having a rainbow baby is still getting jealous 
of people who post that they're pregnant. And I thought that would go away. And I read somewhere on Instagram, someone posted like, it doesn't go away. And no, that, that beast is still there and she's lurking and she doesn't let you, she, she's just jealous. And that's, uh, I'm very jealous. uh, I'm still to this day, extremely jealous, still struggling. Yeah. And you don't, and, and and you don't always know what that person went through to get, you don't know, they might've had miscarriages. They might've been infertile and needed help. They, they might've, whatever story they have, you don't know, but you just, you just get so jealous and angry. Oh yeah. Because social media is all about pretty rainbows. It's the happy stuff. (laughs) It's the highlight reel. Yeah, exactly. It's the not my page. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the it's all the good moments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it just goes to show that miscarriage affects everything and it completely sucks. Yeah. And then you also think about, you know, the future, like if you want to have more children, what you're going to go through to get them and it's just a never-ending cycle and it just completely sucks. And you know, hearing your story, there's a lot of similarities to my story to where I feel less alone. And so I just want to validate that like you are not crazy for the thoughts that you have of, you know, thinking, what if somebody does this and my daughter dies and then I have to plan a funeral and then I have to grieve and then I have to live with it. You're not the only one who thinks like that. Um, And I hear it from a lot of people. And the same thing with partners. I hear that a couple of years after loss, it really hits them and they hit a breaking point. And so this is not the first time I've heard that either. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned also um, is actually something that I've been dealing with lately about the next baby and um, thinking about it. And we've thought, we've discussed IVF and like our remaining two embryos and when we would potentially. Um, And since I'm extremely transparent, um, I had a lot of issues after I gave birth, so our sex life was rather non-existent. I'm sure Tyler doesn't care what I say. Um, <laughs> um, and as much as like, I'm terrified almost to have sex again because I'm so scared of, I don't believe that I can get pregnant and have a baby without IVF uh, and have a viable pregnancy. So like, that's something that, is a whole other facet that I, it, it, it took me a while to get to that in my head, that that's what, what was holding me back somewhat. But that was a big part of it, was I, that I'm so scared of accidentally getting pregnant, which to anyone else would probably be like, yay, yay, yay. I'm terrified of it because I don't think that I can have a baby that way. So it's, yeah, life after loss really trips you. <laughs> I, I seriously mean this. Like, I relate to you so hard because, I mean, I've said it on my Instagram stories, but our sex life is pretty non-existent too. And a big part of that is I am terrified to get pregnant before I have a chance to work on my egg um, quality or like, what if I accidentally get pregnant and I don't know how far along I am? And what if I can't get progesterone? Or it's all these things and it makes you afraid of the thing that you wanted to happen all that time of to happen. And it's just, it changes yeah. everything. It changes everything. And then the funny part about, not funny, but the dark comedy, comedy part of infertility is like how long in college we were together, we went together since high school. And how many times in college I was like, did the condom break? Did the condom break? Yeah. Yet I'm pregnant. So it's just, you're like, you know, 
11 at this point. It's just like, really, if, if, if a teenage me knew that then. <laughs> right. There yeah, were many just, times, I mean, looking back, there were many times that I thought I had like a pregnancy scare with my husband before we were married. And knowing what I know now that you have to have sex on like particular days and it's like down to a science, <laughs> it's like, no, there's really no way that I was pregnant. <laughs> Uh, to, to this day, I, I wonder how, how like people get pregnant in some ways. I'm just like, it's so hard. Like, how does it actually happen? <laughs> I, I honestly think about this all the time. And it's one of those things, like whenever you start to think about like the afterlife and like what happens to us whenever we die, I think about that with like, how do people just accidentally get pregnant and then not know that they're pregnant and like not know that it was That's even it. a possibility? Yeah. It, it's well, shocking to me. I think the funniest thing about all of this is that, especially when we started doing IUI and IVF and stuff, was <laughs> you, you learn a lot about the reproductive system really quickly, but the scary thing is, is that she and I have been in basically every class together, starting from middle school on. We took both health classes, one in middle school and one in high school together. I'm honestly convinced that she just, I, like, I would have thought that she slept through them if I didn't know that she was in the class with me. Like, I wouldn't right. believe it. She knew nothing about it. And he knows, but, and he and, knew everything. And he was he like, everything. I was like, this is just like logic. Like, <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of it. And I totally with I, you. She she had been taking birth control since she was like 13 or 14 and didn't realize that the fourth row of pills were placebos. I didn't know I was that like, You're supposed a few years ago. And it's like a regular thing. Well, like- they do nothing for you. Like, <laughs> and she was like, she's like, why do you know that? I was like, because everybody knows that. <laughs> I definitely I did not know that. Your old sister just shook her head at you. Yeah, yeah. My sister shakes her head a lot at me. Oh, so funny. Yeah. Well, well, I remember like in school, um, like learning about periods and sex and stuff. And I remember them covering like, I remember somebody asking about if you could get pregnant if you had sex on your period. And I was like, why are they asking something like that? And they never explained anything about ovulation or it was just kind of like, if you have sex, wear protection. And if you have your period, put on a pad. Like that's the most that I learned about my reproductive system. And it was just insane to me. Yep. See, I don't remember learning that much either in our class. I mean, hopefully our teachers don't quote me on that. But like, I, I really don't, I don't know. I don't think they yeah. teach you enough. <laughs> I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your story. I could talk to you forever because I really feel like I relate to you um, and your story so well, much. I've been but... following your page forever. It's been so helpful. Oh, so good. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, especially especially when I was pregnant. So thank you for and thank you for having us and having this. Yeah. It's it's a great thing. People feel less alone and be able to just no, commiserate no. together yeah. or. Yeah. F together, cry together. You can get very caught up in, like, I'm the only one going through this. Like, I was dealing with that when I kind of had my little mental break in June, July. And then all of a sudden, I started talking to people. And I was like, oh, I want, like, I went through this. And I started getting really open about going to therapy and stuff. And then ended up finding out that I made two people at work who had stopped seeing their therapist during covid start going back again so I was like 
okay, if that, like, if being open means that that happened and I kind of inadvertently helped two people, then it's worth it. And I feel like that's kind of how you felt about your post with infertility and loss and all that stuff. Yeah. And I feel like that's what you're doing yeah. as well. That's yeah. definitely how Both I feel. People a safe place. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for